Greetings, friends. Your host, Billy Dean Shoemate III here, and welcome back to another episode of Strange Places. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor and DistroKid. Today, we're going to be traveling to Chicago. Chicago, USA, baby. One of my favorite cities. We're going to be traveling to a place called the Nederlander Theater. There's an alley near the theater that people have uh, taken to call Death Alley. We'll tell you why. This alley is also known as Couch Place. That's an odd name. It's used for pedestrians to pass through. You can find this in the, right in the middle of Chicago. You can also find the Oriental Loading Area in this alley as well. However, it wasn't always this easygoing and simple. In 1903, some unimaginable actions took place here. The Oriental Theater, as it was known, was built in 1926. However, before that, this area was just a simple piece of land that was home to the Iroquois Theater. This theater was built in 1903. This theater, excuse me, was said to be the best, really elegant. It was reported that it cost over a million dollars at the time to build. Keep in mind, (laughs) 1903, a million dollars is close to 30 million today. The newspapers advertised that this theater was fireproof. However, with history, we now know that bragging about something being fireproof or sinkproof, testing fate like that is not something you should do. The theater was showing Mr. Bluebeard, which was, um, it was a comedy musical from New York. It's about a man who had married a woman and murdered her. The man had proceeded to hide her body in a closet. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty crazy stuff of the time. The theater sold out for the show, December 30th. All 1,724 seats were filled. Plus, there were a few hundred tickets that were sold for people to stand. This was a, this was a big deal. Midway through the showing of the play, and I think this is important, this ties into it. A big part of the legend here. Midway through the showing of the play, Mr. Bluebeard, a stage light sparked. This spark flew into the backdrops, which were extremely flammable. The backdrops were immediately lit on fire. Very reminiscent from uh, the reports that I was reading of back in the day. Kind of remind me of uh, the station fire where, um, what was it, White Lion was playing? Fire just spread in seconds. The crew that was working backstage did everything they could to put out the flames, including using... Uh, Kyle Fire, it's called. This was a fire extinguisher that was in powder form. Uh, However, this wouldn't work because they couldn't throw it onto the flames. The flames were above them. At this point, the fire was spreading rapidly. The audience soon realized something was very, very wrong. When the crowd panicked, Eddie Foy tried to calm the crowd down. He urged them to leave the building in an orderly fashion. This guy, Eddie Foy, he was a vaudeville actor. He was the star of the show, actually. However, at this point, no one would listen to the guy. People were rushing out of the seats. They, you know, it didn't do much good, though, because they couldn't find any exits. Very reminiscent of the station fire. It seems that history repeated itself in a way. The exits of the theater were not labeled. Plus, the doors uh, had used what is known as a bascule lock. And I wasn't aware of what this was till I started doing my research for this. These locks are popular in theaters in Europe, but not in Chicago. 
The people could not figure out how to unlock. It's just a special lock that theaters in Europe used. I guess whoever had been built in Chicago had some links to Europe or had built something in Europe or was aware or, you know, just tried to make it aesthetically uh, pleasing with it being a very high-end place and wanted to make it kind of European. But the problem with that was over here on, you know, stateside, the common person didn't know how to use these locks in order to escape. Uh, just terrible. The stage crew had attempted to lower an asbestos fire curtain. Yeah, listen to that, okay? The stage crew, remember, keep in mind of when this happened. The stage crew had attempted to lower an asbestos fire curtain. However, it got snagged on the lighting fixtures and could only lower halfway. Seems like everything that could have went wrong went wrong. The theater had a skylight that was designed to be opened if there was a fire. This was supposed to be opened to allow the flames and smoke to travel up and away from those watching the play. However, yeah, another however, no matter how hard the stage crew tried, skylight wouldn't open. It seemed like it was nailed shut. The cast had opened the back door to escape, and at this time, a huge gust of cold air was let in. So what's going to happen there? If you guessed backdraft, you're right. The cold air fed the flames and sent a massive fireball right into the crowd. The theater had an upper level, okay? Uh, the, this is, I, I really dove into the research on this one. This one um, really fascinated me. Uh, it had an upper level, like I said. The people who were on this level uh, seemed to have the worse luck than those who were on the main floor. The people on the upper level had tried to get down to the main staircase. However, the main staircase that would lead to the lobby was locked. These doors were metal accordion doors. This is not unusual. People would be locked into their seats so they could not go to the lower level to, you know, sneak down and have more expensive seats. I know it's messed up to think about now, but these things weren't, you know, considered really at the time. I guess this is one of the major things that made people rethink, you know, fire procedure with you know, buildings. Several people continued to search for a fire escape. Some found them. However, the escapes had been frozen and would not lower them all the way down. It was at this time. It's just everything that could have went wrong. Man, it's awful. People were starting to jump down to the brick alley below them in a desperate effort to you know get out of there. A lot of people died because of that jump. However, the people who did survive survived because the dead bodies cushioned their falls. Some people were able to crawl across the alley to safety. Tenants who were living on the other side of the building had noticed the rush and panic and grabbed a few ladders and two-by-fours. They used these to help get people who were stuck on fire escapes down. Some of the people made it out by crawling on these makeshift bridges. A few of them fell and died even at that point. Other people had the makeshift bridge slip, causing them to plunge into the alley below them. Fire only lasted 30 minutes. However, in that 30-minute span, 600 people lost their lives. Not six, not 60, 600. The majority of the people were not in the building. The majority of them were outside the theater in the alley. Some reports stated that the bodies were piled about six feet high. Now, there were photos taken during the fire itself, during the aftermath. Don't look at them if you have a weak stomach. It is utterly heartbreaking. And it's easy to, and I felt kind of the same thing. When you look at old photos like this, 
of just atrocious things that have happened. You know, to just freak things, to innocent people. You feel a weird sense of detachment, or at least I do. And I felt weird about that, that, you know, these photos are black and white. They're so old. It was so long ago. And these are stories that some people remember, most people don't. And you feel this weird sense of attachment to it. But, you know, after looking at these photos and really doing my research, I mean, my, my heart broke for these people. Must have been horrible. Now, soon after the fire, and we'll tell you why this is on Strange Places in a minute. Soon after the fire, I just want to give you some background here, tell you a story. Recovery work started. The people who were burned in the fire were piled in the alleyway, where most of the photos depict. After they were done removing the bodies, they were taken to several mortuaries. Uh, mortuaries? Why can't I say that? Mortuaries. I still can't say it right. Mortuaries. Jeez. To be identified. Because of the flames and those jumping and falling to their deaths, the alley was soon named the Alley of Death. The site of all the corpses in the alley after the fire helped seal the deal on the name of the alley. However, since that day, there have been some paranormal and very strange occurrences happening in that alleyway. Since the fire, it's said that many spirits are lingering. If you walk in that alley, you might notice a chilly breeze even on the warmest of days. I guess Chicago being the windy city has nothing to do with it, but we'll keep going. You may even hear someone whisper your name when you enter the alley. Some people report the feeling of hands on their shoulders. These hands are nowhere to be seen and no one is around when the person feeling them turns around. People refer to these hands as phantom hands. However, this doesn't stop people from visiting the alleyway and the theater. Many people who are commuting in Chicago use this alleyway, and so do actors, as well as stage crews. The Death Alley is, is nothing to joke about. 600 people lost their lives from burning to death, falling to their deaths, trying to save themselves. Uh, the alleyway, you know, in um, which they laid, where the haunting and strange occurrences happened. The place where the bodies laid is where there are said to be cold spots, other paranormal activity. This is all because of fire codes that were not yet discussed. And this one has a lot to do with our fire codes today, now that I'm looking at it. After this fire, yeah, I'm seeing it here now. Because I also have like web browsers and stuff pulled up along with my notes. I didn't see this before. I'm kind of cruising around as I'm talking about this. After this fire, uh, looks like a lot of different laws were put into place. All fire exits had to be labeled. All exits had to be open outwards. Because of this fire, we have a lot of the laws that we do today for fire emergencies. Unfortunately, at the cost of 600 lives. Today, the theater is rebuilt and is now known as the Nederlander Theater. Some people also call it the Oriental Theater. So if you hear two names... Uh, they are talking about the same place. And, um, I mean, uh, <laughs> this is crazy. A cold December night when people had just wanted to enjoy a play, right? They ended up dying. Not to mention, they passed away in the worst ways possible. Falling to their deaths, burning alive. Not trying to be, uh, not trying to be gross here. It's just... In my mind, it's no wonder that the spirits are said to be lurking there today after all these years. After all the bodies were brought out and counted, actually, if you want to get specific, 602. Most of them weren't even inside the building. Most of them were laying on the ground in the dark alleyway. This is why the alley is known as Death Alley. Story, as you can imagine, <clears throat> excuse me, but it lives on to this day. 
Now, as far as the haunting itself, I'm trying to find... I had some stuff pulled up here because I really, I want to dive into this one, boy. We do have what looks like a lot of photographic evidence. Now, what bugs me about these photographs that I'm looking at is that we don't have, I mean, this theater has been rebuilt. It's used. You know what I mean? People work there. People go there. And when I see this darkened theater that's supposed to be empty and I see a person you know, all the way in the background, that doesn't tell me anything. You know what I mean? That that could be the the janitor. That could be that. That's just uh, that's not. Oh, this is definitely paranormal. You know what I mean? But there are some uh, that kind of uh, make me raise an eyebrow a bit. My God, here it is. Yeah, I'm seeing the photo of the burned out uh, theater afterwards. Oh, wow. Boy, that thing, that's crazy. That thing just got torched, man. Wow. That was a bad fire. Jeez. Look at these. Like I said, don't look at these photos if you, you know, if you have a weak stomach. It's, um, it's pretty wild to look at. But as far as the, you know, uh, photographic evidence, there's really not something, I mean, there's really not anything that's, uh, jumping out at me as, oh boy, that's got to be paranormal. You know what I mean? This is one of the most haunted places in Chicago, which has got to put it in the ranking of one of the most haunted places, you know, in the U.S. This was the Iroquois Theater. You know, the media would say all the time, this thing is fireproof. Obvious mistake. Oh, man. It was constructed in you know, very, very hastily the summer before. It seemed that the theater wasn't constructed well at all. As we know about the stage light, so much went went down. You know, there were illustrations in the paper of people using these makeshift bridges, people falling. Uh, uh, it's terrible. And it must have been the tragic event of the time. 600 people. Man, the Oriental, um, 1926, sits in place of the Iroquois. There are no markings to denote that this tragic place of Illinois uh, took place here, which I kind of disagree with. There should be some kind of plaque or something. Come on. You know? I mean, it's... In my mind, it was just... It, it would just be respectful. Maybe they're trying to cut down on, you know, people... Uh, too many people going in and out of there or defacing the air. I don't know. People are crazy. But there's been a lot of reports of an unusually cool breeze. Just supernaturally cold. Whispers of your own name heard when walking down the alley, even when you're by yourself. Crazy. If you're visiting this eerie attraction, make sure you uh, keep your ears perked, huh? That's what they're saying. The horrors of the Illinois... Uh, I can't talk. The horrors of the Iroquois... I can't talk. Oh, my God. I'm not going to cut that either. I'm going to go, damn it. The horrors of the Iroquois Theater. Oh, man. 1903. 602. That is crazy. Ah. Man, the Iroquois was, uh, it was set to open before the holiday season, 1903, just to put it into perspective. The owners thought it would likely draw more revenue than opening in the dead of winter in January or February. This was despite the fact that the construction had already been behind schedule. There was a rush to open the thing. Smithsonian Magazine reports the city only underwent a cursory safety inspection before it opened. It's, we're kind of starting to develop a picture here. It was never proven in court that any corruption was involved. 
but the magazine emphasized indifference of the city officials at the time to known violations, which I'm not trying to um, justify anything or I'm not trying to back any certain person. This was a tragedy, plain and simple. But fire codes were very lax back then. So when I see indifference to violations, violations of what? You know what I mean? Like, uh, fire code really wasn't a thing at all. They knew about emergency exits. They knew about this and that. The skylight. Obviously, there were things put in place to prevent uh, disaster if there was a fire. This was the Titanic in building form. You know, the builders hastily doing things, tempting fate. It's almost as if saying it was fireproof or saying that the Titanic was unsinkable. Doesn't that bother you? It's like saying, it's like they knew. To me, in my mind, it, it sounds like they knew that something was wrong. So they tout it as this unsinkable or unburnable thing. Because they knew that the Titanic wasn't, uh, well, actually what was one of the things that caused it, the rudder was way too small for that size of ship. It couldn't maneuver worth a damn. All the unnecessary, uh, you know, taking of the lifeboats because they wanted the upper class to have somewhere to walk, right? Without obstruction of seeing all those damn lifeboats everywhere. They touted as unsinkable because there were glaring problems that they knew about. That's not confirmed. But that's what it sounds like to me, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound a little, just a little odd to you? This place that had blatant, um, Fire code violations, even the lax fire codes at the time, rushed out just to get it done at a certain point. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people that fudged some paperwork or signed their names with their eyes closed. I guarantee it happened. And knowing that, it sounds to me that's when people say shit like that. This thing is fireproof. This thing is unsinkable. This has never happened in a million years. That's all you know. speculation, of course. Oh, here's a picture of uh, Eddie Foy. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Man, that must have been a hell of a deal. Uh, see, uh, th- what's interesting is, uh, speaking about the, the haunting, those pictures are surreal. I can't believe they managed to even repair that place. Wow. I mean, it was gutted, burned, destroyed. And all those bodies in the alley, man. If any place would be haunted, it'd be this place. You know what I mean? But are hauntings a thing? Well, multiple reports. Let's get into some of the history here. Maybe we can, yeah, maybe we can find something out, right? Studying its history is going to be very telling. Multiple reports say charges were brought against the theater owner and the manager, actually. Several city officials, including Mayor Harrison himself, on the grounds that he was aware of the theater code violations, what code they had at the time. Mayor Harrison was not indicted. Of course he wasn't, though some of the others were. However, according to the blog Memories of the Prairie, uh, in their research, that uh, was quite extensive now that I look at it. Wow, they did their homework. Most of the charges were thrown out, except for those against a saloon owner who pickpocketed the bodies in the alley. Ah, man. He's like, everything that could have possibly been tragic about this situation fucking happened. You know what I mean? It didn't actually burn down. In fact, it went on not too long afterwards afterwards to reopen as the Colonial Theater. 
It was torn down in 1925 to make way for the present building there now. Originally the Oriental. 1926, a movie palace, right? It hosted stars like the Three Stooges, Judy Garland, Al Jolson, Duke, Duke Ellington. I mean, this was the place, boy. It closed in 1981, but was restored and reopened in 98 as the Ford Center for the Performing Arts at the Oriental Theater. Boy, that's a hell of a handle, guys. With Ragtime as the first performance. 2019, the name was changed to the Ori- from the Oriental to the Nederlander in honor of Broadway theater owner and producer James M. Nederlander. Back to what we came here for, right? The haunting. The Nederlander... Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. This I found this interesting first. Uh, what's crazy is that this same publication that I mentioned really did their homework, boy. <laughs> they report some ghosts evoking the Iroquois, Iroquois have been reported in and around the Nederlander ever since. Cast and crews report that when they're rehearsing on stage, even recently, they'll look up in the balcony and see shadowy figures moving around. People also report seeing apparitions of strangers on the back stairs wearing period clothing from the turn of the last century. The Nederlander, back when it was still the Ford Center for the Performing Man, I'm not going to say the whole name, guys, damn, <laughs> also played host to a record-breaking run of the show Wicked. If you guys remember, one-time cast member Anna Gacier, remember? She was on Saturday Night Live, remember? Uh, I, can never, I can never pronounce her name right. She was an SNL cast member. Well, you know who she is. <laughs> she actually appeared on the show Celebrity Ghost Stories to talk about she thought were experiences with the paranormal in that theater. Uh, she said what is now the Nederlander was steeped in glamour, but also described a dingy, dusty, drafty kind of quality to it, no matter how much they cleaned the place up. She said it was like a spiritual grind, griminess to it. Very weird. And it's really odd hearing those two words together. Spiritual griminess. Very descriptive but nondescript at the same time. Gives gives me a chill. She described the alley behind it, Death's Alley from the Iroquois Fire, as a place that always had the gloomiest, darkest, most dismal, terrible alley. It really was, she said. It felt terrible, and it was always cold. In 2005 and 2006, Gastire... I, oh, sorry, I'm pronouncing your name wrong, Ms. Lady. She played the Wicked Witch of the West in Wicked. And the then Oriental. At the end of Act 1, she notes in Celebrity Ghost Stories, there was a climactic moment in which the witch is learning to fly and a huge amount of smoke and fog envelops the auditorium as the orchestra soars and it's real dramatic. While flying, she reported she would look out to the sides and see people in the wings. She said there was a lot of stagehands on the production, but this was way more people than should have been there. And they were watching the show. She said they were gathered almost like families, gatherings of people that were together. But once she landed, they were gone. She also reported hustling down the hallways between her, you know, uh, from her dressing room in her witch dress with nobody around, a reported first, uh, you know, hearing a child's voice. She said she turned a corner and found a woman at the end of the hall near the stairwell. A woman and two children, both, were terribly burned in period dress. She says, and I quote, my first kind of instinct was a backstage instinct. Oh, there's another actor. I nodded. The woman was very stoic. She didn't smile. She nodded back. And then I noticed the wounds. When she turned another corner, corner, the woman, the children were gone. And she said when she asked her dresser about it, the dresser noted that December 30th was coming up and suggested 
that the place tends to be a lot more active at, at that time. Back in Death's Alley, people tend to encounter things and may uh, take lots of strange pictures. Uh, I, I don't want to downplay anything and I don't want to be disrespectful, but as far as ghost photos, I've seen better. These are pretty... Uh, they're not impressive. They don't make me go, oh, wow, man, There's that place is definitely haunted. These are photos that could easily be faked, honestly, just being honest. Uh, one friend of the you know, kind of actors that frequent that place claims to have psychic abilities. Oh, here we go. <laughs> not, I'm not denouncing that as a thing. I'm just saying these never... These stories never end well. Oh, I have psychic abilities. Go to a haunted place, you know, eh, whatever. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's legit. But uh, usually that kind of makes me go, all right, I'm skipping this part. But we'll, you know, we'll keep going. <clears throat> she uh, went on a lot of ghost hunting tours, been on a couple TV shows. Um, she says there's a lot of energy in that alley. Refuses to walk down the thing. Nearby buildings are also involved when it comes to stories about ghosts. It might be connected to the Iroquois fire, actually. The Marshalls Field Department store opened its eighth floor for use as a triage hospital for, you know, morgue for the five victims. It's a Macy's now. And uh, it's been there since 06. On the eighth floor, they used to, they used that as kind of a makeshift triage unit. She says that, uh, you know, the, um, who, what's, what the hell's her name? Boyd? Michelle Boyd? Uh, she runs the Macy's on State Street. She says there have been subsequent reports of haunting on the eighth floor. Uh, for instance, that when the new employee lockers were on that floor, a lot of new employees would experience weird stuff. The lockers were later moved elsewhere because of it. At great expense to Macy's, she doesn't neglect to mention. Finally, I mean, the one positive outcome from the fire is that it changed a lot of fire code laws. All public buildings must now have clearly marked fire exit doors that can be opened easily, as well as operational fire alarms and sprinkler systems. Doors also must be open outward instead of inward, and curtains that actually slowed the progress of fire were installed. New building standards for theaters were even instituted as far away as New York because of this. The only good that came out of this tragedy, uh, you know, tra tragedy, as I would imagine, can't even say the word tragedy today, but is the place haunted? Is it legitimate? I'm seeing uh, a really interesting report by Sir Ian McKellen, my spirit animal, one of <laughs> one of my favorite people in the world. He says that uh, he always used to dread performing at that theater because you know this guy is uh, he's a stage actor. This guy is Shakespearean trained boy. You know this guy is actor. You know what I mean? He's acted in that theater quite a bit. He says uh, even before he knew the story, he always thought the alley was really weird. Refuses to walk down the thing. And uh, he just said that the place was heavy. It was really heavy. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a weird place. A lot of history there. But is it haunted? I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> the photos aren't very telling. I think they uh, don't look any more impressive than any other ghost photo I've seen anywhere else. But we have reports for, from some people that don't really benefit from saying that a theater is haunted. These are people who are kind of famous in their own right. They don't need to ride the tale of a ghost story. You know what I'm saying? There's just a lot of reports of this stuff happening. 
And whenever I hear about, uh, how am I going to word this eloquently? Um, Whenever I hear about, quote unquote, intelligent hauntings, that immediately makes my radar go off in terms of, okay, something, something ain't right here. Because I don't think hauntings in the true sense are intelligent at all. I think, you know, you could think maybe there's some kind of poltergeist activity there. Maybe it's an energy that that person is exuding, uh, moving things around, stuff like that. Uh, Is that possible? Could that be a thing? Absolutely. I haven't seen anything that make me think otherwise. I haven't seen any proof either. (laughs) But, you know, I have an open mind about poltergeist activity. And maybe some people are just, um, when they get keyed up or emotional, they have this I don't know. Their energy can interact with energies around them. I'm not discounting that, even though I've seen no proof. Got to keep an open mind about that kind of shit. But whenever I hear about intelligent hauntings, that just doesn't jive with me, man. It doesn't jive. 99.9% of hauntings, when you hear about them, what do you hear? What's going on? Is that the people who are supposedly haunting said place, people, animal, whatever, there are animal hauntings we'll get to, but it always seems like they're um, acting out what they did in life. You're watching a rerun. You're watching a replay. Now, the people with visible burns, I don't know if that could have been uh, her just knowing the story. You're looking at somebody who is uh, apparently translucent, cloaked in shadow. I don't know how you can make out severe burns on something like that, but let's just play along. I can't explain that one. <laughs> but usually, when see, people see spirits, ghosts, they seem to be on repeat. They're acting out exactly what they did in life. They'll walk the same hallways. They'll wear the same uh, clothes. They are doing the same actions. And people say, she's always looking for the husband that jilted her. Or he's waiting at sea forever for his long lost love. No, he's not. He's just doing what he did before he died. That's what it seems like to me is that you're not watching you're not watching a real life spirit ghost in the now. I, I truly do not believe this. I don't think time is linear. I think we just see it that way. What you're seeing is their lives happening in real time. It's just that the veil just blew open for a minute, right? Maybe there's a spot on earth there are spots on earth maybe this theater is one of them where reality is just a little thin it's not a brick wall man nothing on earth is a solid wall there are ebbs and flows to everything gravity travels in waves there's dips there's hills you know what i mean everything is like that everything could there be thin spots in reality uh ghosts have been around <laughs> Stories of the human beings going back since day one. Everybody knows somebody that's seen one. Everybody has a family member that has a story. It's a part of our culture. And it's a part of our culture for a reason. Why? Because people fucking see them. It's a thing. I truly believe in it. But I don't believe ghosts are what what people think they are. Because like on Strange Places, this is what we do, right? We use our common sense brains, our common sense minds, and we look at evidence exactly how it is. We don't make assumptions. We don't use prejudices. We take all that aside and just look at shit for how it is. When I do that, 
And, you know, I sometimes, like I said, you know, we, we want the thing to be the thing so bad, you know, that we kind of invent our own narratives. We cannot do that with the story, of the, the study of the paranormal. We can't do it. It's happening way too much. It's happening way too much in our society. No one studies it properly anymore. Nobody's scientific about it. Nobody is skeptical. And I know that's a dirty word, <laughs> especially when you run a podcast like this. Skepticism has really gotten a bad rep. It, uh, it's become a dirty word. And it originally wasn't. Skepticism, all that is, is just having a healthy uh, open-mindedness about not only about it happening, but about it not happening. Just being realistic about shit. But not being closed off and empty-headed either. Skepticism means, okay, show me the money. That's all it is. I'll believe you. And, you know, this sounds uh, intriguing, but where's the money shot? That's what skepticism is. That That's all. That's all. Skepticism is taken today as you don't believe in shit. <laughs> that's not the case. I am healthily skeptical about this kind of stuff. When I look at ghosts just for what they are, these are people that you're seeing the rerun. You're seeing the repeat. This isn't a ghost here in the now. This isn't Jacob Marley coming to visit you, showing you his chains and saying, you better change your shit. It's not. I think that time is not linear. Like I said, we just see it that way. And considering how the cosmos is, like I said, man, everything expands and decreases and warps and ebbs and flows, right? Are there places in reality that are a bit thin? On certain dates, on certain places, do they move around? Yeah, you bet your ass. I believe this. And when we see a ghost, we're not seeing um, a spirit, a dead spirit walking around in 2022, right? We're getting to peek into their lives and we're seeing that happening as they're living it. I truly believe this. Intelligent hauntings. I need some more evidence there to draw a conclusion. Honestly, I'll start looking into that. I'll, you know, but just looking at ghosts for what they are, they're doing what they did in life, which common sense wise tells me that you're not watching something, uh, uh, somebody haunting a place. You're taking a peek into that person's life as it's happening. Makes fucking sense, doesn't it? Makes more sense than any other explanation. So what if all these ghosts reported throughout history, they're seeing us? Think about that shit. Someone uh, reports that they see a ghost in 1776, right? You look at the old uh, visitation stories. Every culture has one. The sky people, the Anunnaki, the this, that. They see figures in strange clothing with devices attached to them, right? With big black eyes, big black sunglasses. I mean, big black eyes, right? With their Ray-Bans on. I don't know. I'm just playing here. Just giving you some thought experiment. I do this all the time. What if those ghosts seen back then, they were looking into our time? Is it possible? Yeah. Is this place, Needlelander Theater, really haunted? Well, <laughs> a lot of people would duel you to the death and say it is. Uh, all that I know is that... Uh, I've never been there. The photographs are a little skeevy. But uh, a lot of people are saying that this place is legit, man. I live pretty close to Chicago. I think I might make a visit someday. Until then, I think we're going to leave this one as merit some further study. 
for sure. This one, it would be impossible to debunk. Can't do it. Um, I think uh, what would be cool is to do a follow-up episode on this thing because uh, my girlfriend's family lives in the greater Chicago area, and I guarantee she knows what this place is. <laughs> She's probably walked down that fucking alley. And um, I see me visiting the Nederlander Theater or walking down that alley being in my future. It, I'm probably going to have to do a follow-up episode on this. And I will walk down that alley, okay? Not during a busy Sunday or Saturday at noon. I'll walk down that alley at 3 o'clock in the fucking morning. And I'll tell you if it's really haunted. I'll walk down there. I'll peek into those windows at midnight on the dot. On December 10th, boy. I'll do it. I'm crazy enough to do shit like that. And I'll tell you if it's fucking haunted. But until then... Uh, we, we should mark this one as merit some further study. I'm not going to say even inconclusive. I think we just don't have enough of this one. Are ghosts real? Yeah, in a, in a sense, I think they are. Anyway, what's your take on it? Do you believe in ghosts? Who are you going to call when you see one? If you say Ghostbusters, we can be friends. <laughs> but anyway, guys, I'll catch you later. Tell me what you think of the Needlelander Theater, if you know about it yourself, or if you have any suggestions about uh, the strange place that we should do next. Uh, let me know. I'm always... Uh, it, it's it's not difficult to find topics for episodes every week, but, man, if you're just hankering to hear me talk about something, if you really want to hear an episode about the you know something that you dig, even if it's something that goes back in your family, if it's in the town that you live in, if great-grandma has a story about the spectral train that would ride past the farmstead where she was a little girl, I want to hear it. Let me know. We'll talk about it. Because every town has a strange place, and maybe one day we'll visit yours. Remember we always say that? Yeah, because we are going to run out of the big ones eventually. <laughs> I doubt it, but yeah, we got to throw some uh, hometown stuff in there, right? So anyway, anyway, guys, I'll catch you later. Head to Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there, as well as the link to get to our Patreon account, where you can get everything from bonus episodes, giveaways at certain tiers, audio ads for your business or charity. Man, we do a ton of stuff. Starting for as little as a dollar a month, I'm sure you'll find something there that'll twirl your beanie. So uh, head, head there, check it out. Or if you're the direct kind of guy or gal, go to patreon.com slash asylum817. Uh, shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson. I appreciate you guys. I love you. Uh, you really do make this show go. I, you know, the cables break and things go bad and things need resoldered and shit and yeah, stuff happens. <laughs> you need canned air to clean out the stupid, dirty volume pot on my mixer. Yeah. So, yeah, every, you guys really do make this show go, and I, I, um, I'm eternally thankful for that. I want to dedicate this episode to the 602 lives lost on that cold December night in Chicago. Um, like I said, it's easy to get disconnected when you see an old black and white photo and... It's not something that happened in your lifetime, and you know you feel for them, but it's not something that, you know, when I really dove into the research of this, I really felt the tragedy of this whole thing, and um, it touched me. It 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 got to me. It it really did. I want to dedicate this to the 602 people that lost their lives in the theater. Uh, may your souls find rest uh, wherever you are. I hope you're at peace. I love you all, and uh, I will see you guys on the next episode. So, are we ever going to run out of strange places, huh? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place, and maybe one day, we'll visit yours. Bye-bye, my friends.
The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support Strange Places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.